A few years ago, Rosie O'Donnell was still on The View. And she made a comment after a terrorist attack that she said she felt like Christians were just to be avoided and as scary as terrorists are. And at the time, I was flabbergasted to hear something, but the reality is there are many in the world that have a negative view of Christianity. One way or another, one reason or another, there are many that they don't want anything to do with Christians. And as Peter is writing in 1 Peter, he is telling a group of Christians in his day that there were a lot of Rosie O'Donnells in his world. And that Christians are able to make a positive impact even on those types of folks. When we build authentic relationships and they see Christians serving, loving, and doing good. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to 1 Peter chapter 3. And as we turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, rather, we're going to look at... at what Peter has to say about the role of the church in the world and how we can tell our story of Christ and how we can build authentic relationships. Let's think about the role of the church in the world. When we look at 1 Peter, Peter makes it clear that he's writing to Christians who live in a world that does not appreciate Christianity and did not understand Christianity. Notice the language that he uses. First Peter, we'll start in chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Paul says, I'm writing to Christians who are living as aliens, migrants, scattered throughout all these areas. Areas that you and I know to be around the Black Sea. You can imagine your map of the world. You remember all the hubbubaloo about Crimea earlier this year, earlier last year rather? That's the area we're talking about. And Peter says to those Christians who are scattered, they're living there. He says, look, it's as if you are aliens, strangers, scattered in that area. And he's going to go on and talk throughout this book saying, they don't get you. And you live among a world, but you live differently. Because you're living by the standard of Christ. Rather than living according to the standard of the world. And so he uses this analogy, aliens and strangers living in the world. And yet we are God's people, his ambassadors in this world. We have a a mission. We are a chosen race. Notice chapter 2 now, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Paul says to these Christians, I want you to know, even though you are aliens and strangers in this world, still you are a nation. You are a people. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Now that's significant. Especially if the people to whom Paul is, or Peter is writing are Jewish Christians. Perhaps they were. Maybe there are some Gentile Christians mixed in here. I think as you read First and Second Peter together, clearly some of them were probably Gentiles as well. But as he's writing to these Christians, it says, you are a royal priesthood. And remember, if you put on your Jewish thinking cap from Peter's day, you think of the priesthood of Aaron, that only a certain family, only a certain people could be a, a, a priest. But, but still God called Israel back in the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A nation of priests. Exodus chapter 19. And Peter's taking that language to say that the church now is a royal priesthood. There is something unique, something special about God's people, the church. We are now that royal priesthood. We are now that holy nation. We are God's possession. But notice what Peter says as we look again at chapter 2 and verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. Then he tells why. Verse 10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. And so Paul, Peter, I keep wanting to make this Paul. But it's Peter that's writing this. And Peter says, look, you weren't a people, but God has made you a people. He's made you his people. And you live in this world, and as you live in this world, you are aliens, you are strangers in this world. The world says this is how you live, this is how you conduct yourself. And you live amongst those who have this standard. But you are different. And the reason you are different is because you belong to God. You are just travelers through this world. Aliens and strangers, he calls them in the next verse. He says, you have been made God's people. And so there's something different about the way we live. We have a purpose. And he says, the purpose is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. The word for proclaim means to report or to proclaim. The root of this Greek word is angelos. You and I would say angel, which simply means messenger. So the idea of proclaiming here is the idea of telling others of what God has done for us. That is our task. 
We are ambassadors. We are his servants in this world to tell others, to report the excellencies of him who has called us. Who called us? Jesus called us. What has he done for us? Taken away our sins. And so the question is, well, to whom are we to make this proclamation? There are some people who read this verse and say, oh, this is talking about singing praises to God. No, it's not. It doesn't use a word that has any relationship to singing. It's telling others publicly about the excellencies of him who called us. Are we telling God? God already knows what he's done for us. Are we proclaiming to God his excellencies? He already knows them. Now we praise God based on other texts in Scripture with a spirit of thankfulness. So yes, there are times that we do that, but that's not what Peter is saying here. We're proclaiming, we're telling others. Are we telling other Christians? It's not the context. Christians already know the excellencies of Christ and what he has done for us. And again, if you look at the context of all of 1 Peter, he's talking about how we get along in the world. Who does that leave? If it's not God, it's not other Christians, who is it? We're telling that world. This is the God I know. This is the God I serve. This is the God who has done so much for me. Look, uh, before I became a Christian, uh, I was into this, and I was into this, and my life looked like this, and my marriage looked like this, and my, my parenting looked like this, and it was just a big mess because I was serving myself. Because I didn't know how to operate with an attitude of love and gentleness and humility and patience and, and all those things that ought to be as you look at the fruit of the Spirit. But you see, when I became a Christian, instead of serving self, I decided I'm going to serve God. And so all these things over there, they're behind me now. And all the ways in my life were, was messed up beforehand. He's taken those things and he's completely wiped them out. He doesn't even remember them anymore. Those are the excellencies of him who called them. I will forgive your sins and remember your iniquities no more. Folks, I can forget my cell phone. I did it two days ago, and I did it this morning. I can forget what my wife said to me five minutes ago. I do that every day. But I beat myself up over and over again for sins I've committed in life. Most of us do. But Jesus says, God says, I will forgive your sins and remember your iniquities no more. 
he's choosing not to even think about him. Those are the excellencies of him who called us. When everyone else said that I'm no good, I, I, I'm, too, I'm too lousy, I'm too messed up, I've made too many mistakes, he said, I still love you. The excellencies of him who called us. When I didn't think there was any way my life could turn around, when everyone else had given up, he said, I'm still here. The excellencies of him who called us. For those individuals who grew up in homes where there wasn't love, there was abuse, there was hate, there was anger, and you thought there was no hope in the world, he said, here's how much I love you. The excellencies of him who called you. Peter says, God has made you his people, his possession, for the purpose that you will proclaim, tell others the excellencies of him who called you. Have you ever thought about what God's plan was for delivering the gospel message? Wouldn't it be simpler for God just to make a a physical appearance to everyone and just tell them, this is how I want you to live? Wouldn't it also just be simple for, for God just to send down angels and magnificent power and light and, and all those types of things and say, this is how I want you to live? Why didn't he do that? How powerful is it for someone who has sinned, whose life has been messed up, who at times didn't know which way they were going, And to have that person say, you know what? I was right there with you. And Jesus changed my life. Jesus was willing to give his life so that I could have forgiveness of sins and put all those things behind me and help me live differently. And it was tough. Because maybe I had to change my friends. Maybe I had to quit doing some things in my life that, that I'd been doing for years. And so it wasn't necessarily an easy decision. But he was there to help me do it. And there are other people around me that had been in similar circumstances that encouraged me along the way and I was able to make the changes in my life I needed to make that testimony is so much stronger than a message from some supernatural being in my presence that doesn't know anything about this world that's why that's why Jesus took the form of a man Philippians chapter 2 and took on the form of a bondservant and was made and found in the appearance of a man and walked on this earth. Hebrew writer says so that he could experience everything that we have experienced, taste everything in this world uh, that, that we taste, was tempted with everything that we've been tempted with, yet was without sin. 
so that he could relate what we have been through and yet die perfect so that we could be raised perfect to excellencies of him who has called us. And so Peter says, this is what our task is. This is what our role is. This is what our mission is in this church. Because this is our mission, we need to live distinct from the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. We know that the world lives by different standards. And we live in this world, and yet we don't engage in the things of the world. Paul says you don't just completely neglect and abandon the world. Now, he's not saying here, as he goes on in the text, or in all of his letter, 1 Corinthians, to say that we should do the things of the world, but he's saying, look, it's impossible, impossible for you to live in this world and not associate with people that do the things of the world because you're living in the world. But we live distinct from the world. Our end goal is to glorify God by, by how we're doing things. And so as Peter is writing to these Christians, he's writing to Christians who evidently had been facing all sorts of persecution because of the way they live their lives. And so as we come back to 1 Peter, Peter says, look, you're go you may face persecution. You may face trials. Notice what he says, verses 11 following. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. This is how the world lives, but you live distinct from it, he says, verse 11. Verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So even though we live in a world that's doing all sorts of things, Peter says, keep yourself away from those things which wage war against your soul. And keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that you can make fun of them? No. So that you can say you're better than they are? No. So that you can sit in judgment on the world? No so that they can see your behavior and give glory to God. There's a mindset among some circles of Christianity today that say, you know what, we ought to do everything the world does so that we can identify with them. And I get some of that, because Jesus didn't hang out with the goody-tooties, right? 
Jesus said, I came as a, as a doctor into the world to save the sick. But he didn't do the things we did. And Peter here, having been one who followed Jesus in his earthly ministry, says, don't do the things of the world so that you can be distinct from the world so they're able to see you and they're able to glorify God in the day of visitation. What day is that? I, I think that's a reference to his return, to the day of judgment. How does someone glorify God in the day of visitation because of something they see me doing? Peter doesn't spell it out here for me as nicely as I wish that he would. But I think, in my opinion, this is my opinion now, that what Peter is saying here is that as people observe our behavior as Christians, that maybe their minds are changed so that they get to the point that when the day of visitation comes, they're standing next to me as a Christian. I think that's what he's saying. That they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. If we had time this morning to read all of 1 Peter, it would be very clear to us that he's writing to Christians that are being persecuted, that are being not persecuted by the Roman government per se, as much as this, just the society around them. They didn't understand what Christianity was all about. And we get that. Archaeologists have, have even discovered uh, in this area uh, uh, graffiti, if you will, that was carved on so inside uh, what uh, archaeologists believe was a, was a Roman um, uh, base or a Roman camp or a, a Roman installation of some sort. Uh, and, and it has a picture of a man bowing down to a donkey with a cross, and it says, Archimenes is worshiping his God. Archimenes apparently was one of our first century brethren. And one of the other soldiers is making fun of him in drawing for worshiping Jesus, who's depicted as being a donkey. That was first century. That's what our early church brethren had to deal with. That type of thing. And so Peter here says, keep your behavior excellent so that they may glorify God. And really, as Peter writes here, he goes on to talk about different things in, in ways in which we do this. Keep your behavior excellent. Notice how he does this. Verses 13 through 17, he talks about the relationship that Christians have with the government. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every institution. Verses two, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, he talks about Servants or slaves, servants, verse 18, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And he goes on to talk about the impact that that's going to have on your masters. We call those people bosses today. Chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about Christian wives with Gentile husbands or non-Christian husbands. And then in chapter 3, and verse 7, he talks about how husbands with non-Christian wives are to behave. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, he talks about Christians in general. He says, chapter 3, verse 8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, 
but give a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for doing good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, chapter 3, verse 14. And do not be troubled, but sanctify as... Christ is Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which they slander you, you are slandered, those who revile, revile your behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Is it clear that Peter is talking about people who are being insulted, being called names for being a Christian? And Peter says, don't throw it back at them. Don't insult them for not being Christians. You just keep your behavior the best it can be so that they change the way they view Christianity and they view Christians. And you use the relationships that you have, whether it's your relationship with the government, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, whether it's your relationship with people at work, he called them masters and slaves. You keep your behavior excellent so they will say, all these things I've heard about Christians can't be true because look at how this person is living. So that eventually it makes an impact in that person's life. And that's how we build authentic relationships. Not by being judgmental, not by insulting, not by looking down on people of this world, but by simply living godly lives. Not being afraid to talk about why we do what we do. Did you notice what he said there? Always be ready to make a defense for any, from anyone that asks you why you believe, yet with gentleness and patience. As I live that kind of life and people know I'm a Christian, they may very well ask me, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Christ? Peter says, every single one of you needs to be able to give your answer with gentleness and patience. With gentleness and reverence. Reverence, respect for the individual that's asking you. And gentleness. Peter says that's how we do it. That's how you build those relationships. Let them see it. How do we then build authentic relationships today? We need to realize that the world has a distorted view of Christianity. Some people have grown up in families where the church was maybe something that they belonged to in the past, but maybe something happened that turned them away. I, I think more and more of our culture is, are just folks that haven't ever gone to church. And they see televangelists on TV taking advantage of people. They see people who carry the label Christian and behave badly. 
And so they have that view of Christianity. Well, there's all sorts of negative images that people might have of Christians today. And we need to realize simply that many in the world have that perspective. Or there are those that academically, intellectually say, oh, that's, that's old wives' tales. That, those are fables. Those are stories. Those are myths. Smart people don't believe that stuff anymore. Look at science. Look what it's taught us. And so there's that perspective. We need to just simply be aware that that's the world. And very few times in the history of mankind have, we, have Christians lived in an environment where everyone believed in God. It's always been that way. And so we need to take an opportunity to build relationships. Not where we're boasting about the good things that we're doing, but simply authentically living our lives as Christians. Knowing that there are non-Christians in our lives who are seeing how we live. And they are our friends because we care about them. They are our friends because they are our neighbors. They are our friends because we went to high school with them. They are our friends because they're our family members. And we're going to really like them because of all the reasons why you pick the friends you have. You like the fish, they like the fish. You like the scrapbook, I don't know why you would, but you might like the scrapbook. Sorry. It's just an example. I'm a guy. Okay? Whatever it is you like to do, play golf, they play golf. What, you know, build those relationships. But keep your Christianity don't put them at arm's length. Don't make them feel judged because you know they live by a different standard. You already know that. Simply live your Christian life. And when they ask you why you don't go drinking with them on the weekend, when they ask you why you're not going to go out to the club after whatever, if they want to know why you're not going to subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, if they want to know why you're not going to flirt with the secretary at the office who obviously thinks you're kind of cute, whatever it is, you tell them, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. I don't think that's how I'm going to honor God. And at some point, they may ask you more about that. And then you can give the reason for the hope that is within you. And maybe, just maybe, when the Lord returns, they'll be able to stand beside you and give glory to God. Maybe you're here this morning and someone has been that person in your life who simply lived their Christian lives. And you were able to at some point hear the gospel message from them. And now you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You believe that He is God. But He took on the form of a human being to experience all the temptation in life that you have experienced, yet He was able to do it without sinning. Simply so that He could go to the cross without sin and die to take away your sin. And you know that you can become united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism and crucify that old body of sin 
so that you can be raised in the newness of life and start living for God. Start living for Christ. And if that's what you need to do this morning, won't you come? Just together we stand and sing.